Well, I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer, the number one rated gun rights podcast in the world, according to Feedspot, who rates such things. Hey, guess what? I, I, you know, people ask me, they say, um, you know, what do you like? What are, what are the things you like? You know, particularly like to collect? What do you enjoy? They'll ask me that, and I'll say, well... I have to strictly limit myself. It has to shoot or cut for me to like it. And given those incredible limitations, let's talk about the cut part. So I've always been a fan of knives, edged weapons. I write about knives. I've written for Blade Magazine, Knives Annual. I did the book on U.S. knife laws for Gun Digest, etc. So knives are a passion, and I'm proud to say that I helped work on getting the jump start to the knife liberty movement in the United States, working close with Knife Rights and Doug Ritter. And we started it in New Hampshire with the repeal of their knife ban on switchblade, dagger, dirk, and stiletto. And since that repeal back in 2010, you know, lost track how many, 20 plus states have repealed their knife laws and we're going full steam ahead. So I have an update here because, you see, knives are, of course, protected under the Second Amendment because the Second Amendment is the right to keep and bear arms. It's not the right to keep and bear guns. It's arms. And knives are included under the banner of arms. And, you know, so many people have knives and love knives and use knives every day. And it's really important that we protect all arms that our Second Amendment right guarantees us. And uh, knives are not only no exception, but a major part of the world that you and I love to live in. That is outdoors and you know, the incredible utilitarian value that knives have and our, our EDC knife, right, our everyday carry knife and uh, knives are used in the kitchen, knives are used for hunting, knives are used for camping, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure you all have uh, drawers full of various knives that you love and some of you, like me, have so many knives that you don't even know how you ended up with so many knives, but uh, who cares because you can't have too many knives. Now, the thing about knives is there is a prejudice to knives in the same way that there's prejudice to guns. The only uh, difference is that guns has what is an organized anti-gun propaganda money machine by the, you know, funded by the Soros and Bloom turd and folks like that, that money this movement, because it's not really a lot of people that want to see rights taken away. There's, there's, a, there's some that are just uh, authoritarian communists, basically, that want to get rid of our rights. But for the majority of people don't. But these, these groups exert these influences, and, and, and it's been a battle uh, for gun rights, and we're succeeding and fighting it and as many of you know, we've made tremendous uh, headway, particularly in the courts with the absolute fantastic landmark Bruin decision by our hero, 
Justice Thomas, you know, he wrote the majority opinion. And Bruin is having tremendous effect across the board as we battle these atrocious intrusions into our Second Amendment rights. And knives being arms, I'm proud to say that knife rights, which is, uh, you know, in so many words, the NRA of knives, but uh, in other words, they are a group that focuses on defending knife rights, and they're the largest, most successful knife rights group in America. And their chairman is a good friend of mine, Doug Ritter. Well, Knife Rights has taken on the federal Switchblade Act and has challenged the constitutionality of the federal Switchblade Act, what we call the FSA. So the FSA, which is a federal ban on switchblades that was enacted in the late 50s, and it was enacted in the same way that anti-gunners today put forward propaganda working on emotion and not facts as they try to disarm and disenfranchise every American. And back in the 50s, when the, you know, everyone, everyone knew that uh, the cause of youth violence was the switchblade, I mean, right? I mean, you just had to watch West Side Story or James Dean, and you knew it was the switchblade that was the culprit causing the corruption of our youth. So working on this emotion in the same way as anti-gun law proponents do, they were able to pass the federal Switchblade Act, the FSA, that has created an, a, a, a ban federally on switchblades. But the federal ban is written in a, in a very cumbersome, stupid way that is, on one hand, problematic, on the other hand, helpful. Because it was done in 58, the, the laws, they weren't as sophisticated when they passed their anti-weapons laws. And this law, although there is a federal ban, the federal ban does not ban possession of switchblades in the United States, and I'm underlying states, in the states. It doesn't ban possession in the states under federal law. So if you're just possessing a switchblade in your state, you can, there's no federal law you can be charged with for unlawful possession of a switchblade. But what the federal law did do was it banned the interstate commerce selling and transporting across state lines for, for furtherance of, of this, the switchblade knife. And by doing this, it created a problem for their continued sale because it distribution and selling became the problem. And it was up to individual states whether they wanted to have their own state bans. And as you may know, New Jersey does, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, the, the federal ban, though, has some weird loopholes that you may not even realize about how bona fide dealers, though, 
who have contracts that can sell to the government are actually allowed to receive them via this narrow exemption. But they never define what a bona fide dealer is. And so dealers who receive these knives in interstate commerce today, they, as long as they're selling in a contract at some point, they sold to a police officer or military personnel, then they're able to get these knives, but they're not required to sell the knives that they receive in interstate commerce to only those folks. It's just that's what exempts them to receive it. And then once they have it in their possession in the state, then they only have to obey state law. And because of this contorted loophole, so to speak, ownership of switchblades has become widespread throughout free America. And we've made it freer with the life liberty, uh, the knife liberty movement. And now, with 36 states that allow in a, uh, for possession and carry even of switchblade knives, the overwhelming majority having some ability to uh, possess uh, knives, switchblade knives. It is time for the federal law to go, to be removed from the books, and using the Bruin decision and its interpretation of how the Second Amendment gets applied to test the constitutionality of laws, the Federal Switchblade Act uh, plainly cannot survive. And this is really great because once we wipe out the federal knife laws, there will be no base, no foundation of federal knife laws. And we can still clean up the states that still may have some knife laws here or there. And we do it both legislative and via the courts. You know, that's how the knife liberty movement works. And this way we preserve and reestablish complete knife freedom and liberty in the United States. And this is such a critical step by knife rights in filing their federal challenge to the FSA to finally wipe it out. And if they are successful, which I believe they will be, the impact of a the federal court, particularly a Supreme Court decision on this, will then be utilized to wipe out the remaining state bans that exist. And we can once again have knife freedom throughout America complete. And so what's exciting here is uh, Knife Rights has filed not only their action in the Texas federal court, but they filed for a summary judgment motion, meaning that the facts of the case are not in dispute, and they just need a, a, a legal opinion by the judge on the law as to whether the federal law is in violation of our guarantee under the Second Amendment. And this is where the case begins. Now, of course, uh, it'll probably, after the Fifth Circuit, regardless of win or lose, you'll probably see it appealed to the Court of Appeals. And then from there, it could then go to the United States Supreme Court, potentially. And here in this case where Knife Rights has filed their uh, lawsuit, 
Well, that is the same court in federal court and in front of the same judge who is Judge O'Connor. Now, Judge O'Connor is, in my opinion, another one of the modern heroes of Second Amendment jurisprudence. And uh, Judge O'Connor is the same judge in Mock versus Garland who has uh, invalidated the pistol brace ban in another lawsuit. He's that great judge who, uh, who made it clear that, uh, uh, that that pistol brace ban is also uh, unconstitutional and a violation not only of that but of the Administrative Procedures Act, you know, the way Biden jammed it through with his uh, co-conspirator, you know, the Attorney General there, Garland. And in, in addition to that, just on that pistol brace ruling, there's serious ramifications from the judge's opinion because this judge gets it. This judge gets it so much so that he made it clear how not only the pistol brace where the stay has been granted and all, but his ruling is placing plainly in jeopardy the SBR itself, the very National Firearms Act that prohibits a short barrel rifle. Because as he points out, all a short barrel rifle does is allow you to shoot more accurately and to use it in the manner intended, which is what the Constitution is all about protecting. So this judge gets it. And the same theory about this can plainly be applied to other Challenges, I'm sure it will and is, including magazines and so-called assault, etc. So this judge's great opinion there uh, on the pistol brace has even potential, farther-reaching potential. And this is the same judge that the FSA challenge is going before, the switchblade challenge is going before this great judge. You know, let me tell you some interesting things about uh, the switchblade that you may not even know. Did, did you know that in 1958, when, when they were having hearings on this Switchblade Act, this, you know, just this propaganda dog and pony show to fool the public, do you know that in the actual hearing, there was testimony that, and this is right in the Senate report, that in the United States, Two manufacturers of knives, just two manufacturers at that time, had a combined production of over one million switchblades a year. Did you realize that? That in the 1950s, just two knife companies were making over a million switchblades a year. And even... Even... Today, we see a tremendous amount, and we don't call them switchblades, say, of automatic knives. And why is this important? Because one of the things under Bruin is common use. Well, there's no argument that switchblades were in common use. The very own hearings of the day in 58 made it clear they're over a million a year being produced just by two companies. That doesn't include what was being imported. So common use, can't even argue anything about that. It's a fact it was in common use. So that gets 
the common use issue under Bruin covered. Because remember, Bruin said that an arm, which is in common use for lawful purposes, is what's protected. Well, switchblades or automatic knives are plainly in common use and used for many, many lawful purposes. And look, it's not just me saying they're used for lawful purposes. Did you know that the Department of Justice opposed, yeah, opposed the Federal Switchblade Act in 1958? Imagine having a Justice Department that good, as opposed to what we have today, right? This weaponized, anti-rights Justice Department. Instead, the Justice Department of the 50s, well, here's what they said about switchblades back then. They were they did not recommend that the FSA pass, and they said, by prohibiting the transportation of a single item, which, quote, is not inherently dangerous. They themselves knew it's not inherently dangerous, but requires the introduction of a wrongful human element to make it so. Imagine that. Imagine that. They're actually blaming the person and not the item. The switchblade is not intrinsically evil. It doesn't go run around and stab people by itself. Oh, no, no. It's actually bad people. And it's nothing inherently dangerous about a folding knife that opens automatically. And the Justice Department knew it and stated it and went on record against it. They further said that switchblades in the hands of criminals are, of course, potentially dangerous weapons. However, since they serve useful and even essential purposes in the hands of persons such as sportsmen, shipping clerks, and others engaged in lawful pursuits, the committee may deem it preferable that they be regulated by the state rather than at the federal level. And that was signed by William Rogers, Deputy Attorney General at the time. So there you go. The government itself at the time of the federal switch admitted that they were in common use and they're not inherently dangerous. So this is why a summary judgment motion comes out now. Saying, look, there's no question about this, that a switchblade is covered by what Bruin talks about. No question. And now you have to apply the test of history, text, and tradition. And it wasn't until 1958 that we saw the first switchblade laws, which is way too new to even have any historical precedent as far as Bruin is concerned. So this is an excellent legal challenge taking place that will have long-range and long-term implications, and not just for knives, but other things as well. And it's yet another impact of the great Bruin decision. Now, you know, in New Jersey, switchblades are defined differently than under federal law. The Federal Switchblade Act defines a switchblade knife as any knife which has a blade which opens automatically by hand pressure applied to a button or other device in the handle of the knife or by operation of inertia, gravity, or both. That's the federal definition. But you see, 
the state definition in New Jersey says means any knife or similar device that has a blade which opens automatically by hand pressure applied to a button spring or other device in the handle of a knife. So they're similar, but just slightly different. Di different. But th the fact is that the key element in both federal and state is that the blade opens automatically, but it's by a button or other device in the handle of a knife. And so the button becomes the key or the other device that makes it open automatically. Because some of you, I'm sure, have seen what are called assisted openers, where you start the blade a little bit, and then it opens all the rest of the way automatically. And to the uneducated, they might say, hey, that's a switchblade. No, it's not. The reason it's not a switchblade is it doesn't open with the use of a button or other device in the handle of the knife. It's simply an assisted, and you're literally pushing the blade itself to start it, you see. And... When you start thinking about just how silly the switchblade law is, when the assisted opener opens a blade automatically, it just doesn't have a button, and we're banning federally folding knives because of a button? I mean, what? it's just as stupid and as silly as it gets. So what adds, what makes it prohibited? The entire... Uh, mystery and the and the you know the laws and the emotions and everything and the and what's been applied to ooh a switchblade you know but it's not it at all anymore especially in the modern day it's simply a folding knife and it's one of the more safer folding knives because unlike other knives it actually locks closed normally folding knives don't and so this will open up hopefully the beginning of the end of knife laws via this court challenge and I would highly recommend that you support knife rights you know, join as a member support their efforts as they fight for knife liberty across the board they've made such a difference and it is an arm that is uh, protected we gotta go we, we, we don't leave any arm left in our fight for our Second Amendment rights. They all matter. As a matter of fact, the slogan of knife rights is, not the official one, but it's one of their slogans, all knives matter. And in fact, all knives do matter. And switchblades or automatic knives are one of those that truly matter. So, Support knife rights. Hey, guess what? The clock is ticking. The clock is ticking, folks, on the recertification that you need to do for keeping your carry permit in Jersey. Even though we got that great extension, it's December 31, so make sure you get your requalification in if you're a permit holder. Yes, the... Uh, Requirements have been substantially made simpler, and they focus now on what is uh, the uh, core fundamentals, core competency, and that's it. No more of this. You have to be uh, a SWAT police officer in order to qualify just to carry to defend yourself. 
but you still need to get it. And if you're thinking about applying to get your new carry, that's what you need to take. And if you have an old carry, you need to requalify and get it. And let me just tell you that a great place where you can get this done is that We Shoot. We Shoot is a range in Lakewood, a great indoor range. They have fantastic trainers. They treat you like family. They really are wonderful people. A buddy of mine went there. He just told me how thrilled he was, how great they treated him. He was like, Evan, you weren't kidding. I said, no, these guys are great. They really are. And he went and got his certification, and you can too. And it's a great place to shoot right there in Lakewood. And they have uh, not only all the great facilities, but they do a lot of fun stuff. Looking forward myself to October 11th there to shoot their uh, huge ballistic gummy bear that you can get. It's like a gummy teddy. You can pick what gun you want and blast blast it. That looks like a lot of fun. And you get to keep the uh, ballistic gummy bear that you shot up as a souvenir. It's going to be fun. They do all kinds of cool stuff like that. It is a great resource. You really need to go to WeShoot. Check out WeShoot at WeShootUSA.com. Look at their uh, Facebook page as well. They have great photography. They're they're just uh, dedicated to their customers. And you'll see what I mean when you go there. It's it's a it's just a great place, and uh, I would I would just uh, remind you that they uh, support Gun Lawyer, and I'm really happy they do, which means I have the opportunity to tell you about all these interesting things that we all love. And our other great sponsor is the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs. ANJRPC is the premier gun rights organization in New Jersey. They are the group that is litigating in federal courts against the carry killer bill, against the assault firearm ban, against the magazine ban, making progress. My good friend and colleague, Dan Schmutter, handles their federal litigation, and I frequently talk with him, and they're doing great work. And uh, all together, we were able to get the changes to the uh, through the association as the leader now. We're able to get the changes to the no serial number gun ban that had banned millions of guns. So much so that the CMP quit selling guns to New Jersey. I mean, come on, you want to get a grand from the CMP, but that, sorry, you have that stupid law that prohibits you. That's all been removed. You can get guns from the CMP again. And uh, the whole threat there, gone. We're able to renegotiate to get these training requirements reduced to just core competency. So all those insane other things they were requiring where there was a 40% failure rate under the old standards, folks. 40% of those people that wanted to simply defend themselves were being denied because they couldn't pass the egregious extreme qualification course designed for law enforcement doing activities that no average law-abiding citizen would ever have to do. And now, because of the change to something more reasonable in requirements, the courses and those signing up for courses has dramatically increased. Those individuals were being, being discouraged from applying under the old qualifications. And that's now changed. And that's critical because every person that becomes uh, 
a gun, not just owner, but someone who carries a gun for defense, they have a vested interest in our Second Amendment rights. They become the strongest defenders because they know how much it personally means to them, and it makes all the difference. So look, the association is there. They're doing a tremendous job. They have a great newsletter, best gun rights newsletter in New Jersey. The things that we fight in New Jersey spread in the anti-gun mechanism, their propaganda, their they use Jersey as their experimental grounds. This is the front lines on the battle for gun rights. And it's the association that is right there on the front lines defending it. So please join ANGRPC.org. Make sure you're a member. Be part of the solution by joining ANGRPC. And you'll be glad you did when you when you look back and see how much we've been able to change things. Think how amazing it is, seriously, right now, thinking about it. You can actually get a shall-issue carry permit based on objective standards with a qualification course that you can actually pass and uh, and then have that carry that was a virtual impossibility before Bruin and the great work of the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs. That's a milestone. That's an amazing accomplishment. I mean, I'm sure many of us never thought we'd ever see the day when we'd have carry in Jersey. And here we have shall issue, and this is just the beginning. Because as we get more and more folks doing that, eventually even New Jersey will have constitutional carry. You mark my words. It's how every state has evolved, and we will too. And you want to be there as part of it, gaining our rights back it's slow, it's incremental, but that's how we lost them as well, folks. So we're doing great, and we're doing better and better every day. Hey, let me do one last thing before I get to some great letters from my beloved listeners, and that is shamelessly promote my book. If you don't have a copy of New Jersey Gun Law, you sure need it. It's over 500 pages, and it has 120 topics all in question and answer format. You know, New Jersey's gun laws are so freaking complex. If you just start cold, you'll never figure them out. But with my book, you'll be able to. And you'll get an understanding, and you'll be able to uh, fully, uh, fully comprehend this insane matrix that New Jersey lays out for gun owners. But... Uh, I wrote it for that reason. It's a labor of love, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of man hours, and it's the Bible of Jersey gun law. So get a copy of New Jersey gun law. And don't forget to subscribe to the free updates. Just hit that QR code on the cover. They're 100% free. You get alerts about anything new. You get full access to the subscriber archive. This book is a living book that stays current and updated Usually within 24 hours of any change, I'm letting you know by email, and you're able to download it and stay on top of these changes. So go to evannappin.com. It's my name, and it's a .com, evannappin.com, and you can click the big orange book there and order yourself a copy of that. Hey, I have some letters. Let's take a look at 
what some of the folks are saying here. And here's a good one. This is from Harris. We'll just call him Harris. Hello, Mr. Knappen. I have a court-issued permit with my handguns listed on the court order. If I qualify with one gun under the new protocols, would that cover all my handguns on my court order? Thanks in advance. Well, we get this question a lot, and I'm going to tell you right now, it does not cover you. And I, I know we have arguments why it should, and I get that. But the reason it doesn't is if it's court-ordered. If it's a court-ordered permit, it's a court order. And it, usually your permit has an accompanying court order that says this is what you must do. And that court order stands alone as a court order. And if you violate a court order, you could be held in contempt of the court order. And not only can they prosecute you for contempt of the court order, but you could face and will face your permit, your carry permit, being revoked for not following the order that accompanied it. I know it's ridiculous, but it's how our laws work, and our laws often work ridiculously. So if you do not like that situation, the courts have barred you from going back to the court to try to fix it. Yes, they deny gun owners access to the courts like you can't even believe it's america but they do they do not allow you to go back to try to get that change too bad tough noogies where'd you think you lived in america no you're in new jersey don't forget that you cannot go back to the court even though it's a court order that's contrary to the law that's contrary to the protocols that's contrary to what the state police uh, 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 uh. sorry you're stuck so what can you do the only thing you can do is you can give up that permit and go get yourself a chief-issued permit. And with a chief-issued permit, one gun qualifies. You put any gun you wish to carry, as we've discussed on the show before, on the on the uh, form, and you're covered. It doesn't matter which gun you qualified with. As long as you put the other guns on the form that you might intend to carry, you can carry them. But you can't do that with a court-issued permit. Like I said, one of the best things that ever happened with that carry killer law, if there's any little nugget of gold in that whole crappy bill, it's that they got judges out of the issuance of permits. Because that's what has screwed us from day one, folks. That's how justifiable need became the monster that it is to stop law-abiding citizens. It was judge-created. So these judges don't defend our rights. They don't stand up for Second Amendment. They do what they can to limit it and to disenfranchise us. Don't be fooled. So if you don't like that, I'm sorry, but the only answer is wait till your permit expires. When you get your new one, it'll be through the chief, or give up the current one and get one that's issued by the chief, and then you can not be bound by that ridiculous situation there. And uh, here's a letter from Greg. Greg asks regarding pistol parts transportation. I know there are many restrictions on transporting a handgun. My question is, if I need to have work done on the slide only, can I transport just the slide without an issue? I'm asking because in order to get to the local shop before they close, I need to take the slide to work with me and then go to the shop for work done. The shop's hours are such that I can't get home and work and back to the shop before they're done. Thank you for all you do. Greg, Greg, yes, you can. The pistol slide is not the firearm. The frame is. The slide is just a gun part. 
And it's a lawful gun part to your gun that you want to get gunsmithing done on. And just possession of a slide, believe it or not, they don't pro pro uh, prohibit in New Jersey just possession of a slide. Now, if you manufactured the slide yourself out of metal, then they might claim you're making ghost guns, but that's not the case here. You're talking about your slide on your manufactured, produced, commercial gun, and you just need to get some gunsmithing done, and just having a slide without the frame, without the firearm itself, no problem. No problem whatsoever. You can have that with you and bring it from work to the gunsmith. Now, if for some reason your work has its own special bands on things, well, that would be something between your employer and you. But there is not a law in New Jersey that would prohibit you just having that slide on your person. There's no offense in New Jersey. Believe it or not, no offense in New Jersey called unlawful possession of a pistol slide. Nope. Don't have that one yet. Now, hey, maybe, uh, you know, Maybe this will inspire them to start creating even more new and absurd laws that have to be taken out with uh, the power of the brew in there. But at the moment, not an issue. So this is, uh, this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a CounterThink media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.